regular exercise, good stress management and sleep. Those lifestyle principles that we teach are critical for going through bouts of low insulin so we can burn fat for fuel. And that's really the biggest issue in our society is we need to teach people how to turn their bodies into fat burning machines. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I am bringing you Dr. David Jockers. Now, I just want to preface this conversation with you're going to want to get a piece of paper and take notes. Or if you're out in your car, you're running around, you're going to want to go back and listen to this incredibly intelligent and helpful doctor. We dove in to all the different hacks you can use to accelerate weight loss. And what I love about Dr. Jockers is that the majority of these hacks are free and, or food-based. So he throws down some incredible strategies that those of you who are trying the keto diet, you're trying fasting, you're trying to overcome metabolic syndrome, you know that you want to point your health in a new direction, but you might be hitting some bumps. This is the conversation for you. So we talk about sleep, and then he had some really great hacks for sleep. We talked about what fasting windows are best for weight loss. We talked about the changes in the microbiome that we can make to accelerate weight loss and bring down inflammation. He dove into the liver and gallbladder and what we, how we can use food to be able to heal those organs. He even went as far as to show us three different home tests you can use to be able to determine which foods you should be eating, which organs you need to be nourishing, and how to accelerate your weight loss experience. Seriously, this conversation is so rich in information that I know those of you that are struggling with weight loss, that are really putting in great work with the tools of keto and fasting to drop more weight, you guys are going to find so many answers in this conversation. So his name's Dr. David Jockers. He's written two phenomenal books. One's called The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, and the other one is called Fasting Transformation. He has an incredible website that we'll leave a link to in the notes that you can go and find recipes and graphics, uh, blog posts. This man is putting out content left and right that is massively helpful to the human race. So I loved this conversation, but what I love even more is the tools you guys are going to gain from listening to this man. And as always, if you guys love it, please send it out into the world. I am on a mission to end chronic disease. I feel like tools like fasting and keto are going to do that for people. And the more we get inspired, the more we live a life that's congruent with uh, our health, the more we spread that joy and love, the quicker we get uh, out of chronic disease. So really excited to share this episode with you. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. 
By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled. And let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. I really want to, like I mentioned prior, uh, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, I really want to jump into the statistic that became very popular last year or was brought to everybody's attention which is that only 12% of Americans are metabolically fit. Yeah. Help, help us understand, help my listeners understand what metabolic fitness is and why are only 12% of us metabolically fit? Yeah. So, uh, you know, 12% are metabolically fit. And so when we look at metabolic fitness, I always think about metabolic flexibility, which is really the ability to burn sugar and fat for fuel effectively and efficiently and appropriately. So you know, when I'm in a state where I'm exercising at a high intensity, I really need to be good at burning sugar for fuel and producing energy without oxygen. But when I'm at rest, I need to be really good at burning fat for fuel and conserving burning sugar. And most people out there are stuck in sugar burning mode. They're really bad fat burners because they have high levels of insulin in their blood. And insulin is this amazing hormone that you know, its job is to take sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into the cells. High blood sugar is toxic. It damages the endothelial lining of our blood vessels, right? It increases, you know, you look at somebody with uncontrolled diabetes and what do they get? They, they typically die from heart disease or kidney failure um, because the high blood sugars like shrapnel going through the blood vessels, damages the endothelial lining, damages the kidneys, damages the blood vessels around the nerves. So they end up developing peripheral neuropathy, optic neuritis, so high blood sugar is really toxic for the body. So insulin helps keep sugar in check, but as long as insulin is elevated in the bloodstream and everybody has a certain threshold, when it's above that threshold, you're not going to burn fat for fuel. So you could be on a low calorie diet. You could be exercising, trying to do healthy things, but if insulin is elevated, you're not going to effectively burn fat. You're going to be metabolically inflexible. So we need bouts of time where we have low insulin. That's really what I love about low carb nutrition plans. It's what I love about um, intermittent fasting. Obviously, you know, really reduce that that insulin at regular exercise, good stress management, and sleep. Right, all those those lifestyle principles that we teach are critical for um, going through bouts of low insulin, so we can burn fat for fuel. And that's really the biggest issue in our society is we need to teach people how to turn their bodies into fat burning machines. Yes. Now you can have an issue where you're not good at burning sugar, but that's much more rare, right? And that can be from long-term, you know, ketosis, being in ketosis for a very long time, you can get um, to the point where you're just not very effective at burning sugar or breaking down glycogen. And then you'll notice fatigue when you're exercising at times, um, things like that, but that's, that's rare. You know, we're typically looking at issues with insulin resistance and um, trouble burning fat for fuel. Yeah. And, and it seems so obvious when we explain it, right? It just, it seems so clear yet to date in, right now, while we're, we're speaking, somebody is going into their doctor's office, the, explaining all their symptoms and their doctor saying your BMI is too high and you need to lose weight. And that is the prescription and they walk out and the doctor never explained blood sugar. The doctor never explained what you just said about insulin. There have been no tools to be able to help that person. And if you combine that with blood pressure being high and cholesterol high, they're put on medications that could drive them deeper into an insulin resistant state. How do we 
bridge the gap between the person struggling and the lack of education on the doctor's part and how do we move people into a more metabolically healthy place? Yeah, it's so true. Typically, you know, the, the person is told you need to eat less and move more, right? And, and in some cases that does work, but it's rare. Honestly, most people just get, you know, they, they actually end up getting into a state of weight loss resistance and weight loss resistance is really based on these hormones. Again, insulin, um, you know, cortisol, different stress hormones. And we have to have more of a hormone balancing lifestyle plan. That's really where it starts. And so the way that we do that, number one is, you know, just like I talked about getting sugar under control. So we can do it with intermittent fasting or time restricted feeding. So a great strategy is, you know, to start by eating your meals, you know, only eating three meals a day, right? So rather than five or six meals, like most people have been taught snacking and grazing every, every few hours just doing three meals and doing it in like a, a 10 hour eating window. I think that's pretty easy for just about everybody can do, to do. Yeah. It's really more of a mindfulness practice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, finishing your last meal, for example, at like seven or eight o'clock and then not eating until, you know, let's say eight, nine, 10 o'clock the next day is really more mindfulness um, and then hydrating well, right? So hydrating well between meals. And when you first wake up in the morning, will naturally suppress the hunger hormone. So you have a a hormone called ghrelin that's released from your stomach. And it's released when you either don't have anything in your stomach, or it's released at times when you've conditioned it to like if you're used to eating a Mm. big breakfast. So years ago, I used to eat a big bowl of oatmeal at like 7am. So I'd wake up in the morning, 7am come, I would be so hungry. So when I first started doing intermittent fasting, at first, I felt hungry, but I drank water. And I noticed, oh, the hunger went away. And that's because I distended my stomach, which is what my body was used to. And that suppressed ghrelin. I no longer felt hungry. And I was able to go much longer without having to consume food. And so hydrating well between meals is super critical. And also first thing when you wake up, and that really makes it easier to fast and go longer periods of time without food. When you don't hydrate well, you actually get a higher release of stress hormone. And by hydration, I mean water, but also I mean good salts too. And you yeah. can, you don't necessarily have to consume salt on its own. Like a lot of people do and they, and they feel really good taking some sea salt, um, putting it on their tongue and drinking water can, can be an amazing hack for energy. It's actually a natural antihistamine. So for people that have, that have like allergies, they're sneezing, um, coughing, or even asthma I've seen as well, people having trouble breathing, putting some salt on your tongue naturally suppresses histamine and then drinking water after that. Um, so it can be a really powerful hack. However, a good majority of people actually just by consuming in their meals, consuming mineral rich, lower carbohydrate foods like grass fed meats, wild caught fish, olives, avocados, sea vegetables, like um, dulce, kelp, things like that. Things that, you know, Americans have no idea unless they go to go eat sushi, right? We're not consuming stuff like that, but you can get like little herb mixes that have kelp in them, for example. And you can just, we have those. We have those in my house. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. So the Bragg's like sea kelp delight and stuff like that. And just put that on. And it's one of the most mineral rich foods that you can consume. Celery, amazing source of of minerals, cucumbers, Mm. right? So these are really great things that you could be eating on a regular basis that will provide a rich array of minerals, lots of good sodium, and then salt your foods to taste and use a good quality salt. I was going to say, do you just pick up uh, the woman with the umbrella. What's her name? <laughs> what yeah, is that? Hortons or whatever. Hortons yeah. Salt. Yeah. yeah. Do exactly. we just go to that or do we, you know, I would say it's better salt? than nothing. It's better than no salt, but uh, you know, it's definitely not the best salt. So you want to get something like a, a Celtic sea salt or a Himalayan sea salt or Redmond's real salt. Those are my three favorites. Yeah. Um, so all of those are really, really good. So that way you're getting your sodium and your electrolytes. Now, especially if you do go on a low carb diet, which I know you and I both recommend as kind of a foundation, mm-hmm. um, you ha- are going to have lower insulin and that's really important for now turning on fat burning. However, insulin also causes you to retain sodium. So we hear about low sodium diets and, and mm. salt and sodium get a really bad rap in our society. And that's really because people have high insulin. 
So when you have high insulin, you retain sodium and you retain water. And when you retain more sodium and more water, you're going to end up with higher pressure, higher blood pressure. However, when you go on a low carb diet or you're fasting, now your insulin levels go down. Now you excrete sodium, right? And so now you actually need to replace that. So taking good salts can be really helpful. And especially as you first start adapting, being very intentional about getting a little bit more salt in your diet. In fact, you know, just counting out like two teaspoons of salt throughout the day that you're actually putting on your food or putting in your water can be a really great hack for just making sure you're getting enough. As you get more adapted to more keto adapted, more adapted into a healthy lifestyle, low carb diet, you'll notice that you just don't need as much or it becomes Mm -hmm. more intuitive. Like when you're salting your foods and eating these kind of mineral rich foods, you're just getting enough of what you need. But that's a really, really good hack there. So three meals a day, um, no more than that. Um, And for many people, you can drop it down to two meals. And some people even do great on one meal, um, depending on how insulin resistant you are, how much body fat you have to burn. Um, Mm -hmm. You can can play around with your meals and your eating window. And that's going to really suppress the insulin. It's going to get you back into a place where you're metabolically flexible, energy efficient, and you're burning fat for fuel. Now you do, you also want to take into account other lifestyle principles. If you're not sleeping well, for example, you're going to have a lot more cravings throughout the day and it's going to be a lot harder to do intermittent fasting. It's going to be a lot harder to do um, a low carb diet. So you got to really prioritize good sleep. I always recommend trying to get at least one hour of sleep before midnight and ideally two, if you can, every yeah. hour of sleep before, before midnight is equivalent to three hours of the regener- regenerative capacity of sleep after midnight. Why is that? Well, it has to do with our body's natural circadian rhythm. And mm-hmm. so our ancestors weren't staying up all night. They didn't have electronics that they were looking no. at till, you know, 2 a.m. So when when it got dark, it was, it was shortly after that they would go to sleep. Now they may have some fire going, so they would have like some red light, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't have blue light exposure. Yeah. And so, you know, you can get red light light bulbs, for example. And you can also wear blue light blocking glasses that block blue light, make it into more of like a a red light, which is more of like a fire. Um, And there's less melatonin. Uh, So blue light blocks your melatonin release. And melatonin is not only your sleep hormone, but it's also your major, it's it's a major mechanism of brain detoxification. Your melatonin helps turn on detoxification of your brain. We have a system called the lymphatic system where you actually drain out toxins from your brain. It's just a really powerful antioxidant that protects your brain from oxidative stress. So we really want to have optimal melatonin levels, but if we have blue light exposure after dark, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suppress our ability to produce melatonin. So you can put on these glasses and that's going to reduce the amount of melatonin suppression because you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, like I know I've got four young kids, so busy trying to get them to sleep. And then, you know, it's eight thirty, nine o'clock. And then I just want to like, look at my phone or veg out or yep. something like that with my wife. Right. So at least we put on the glasses oh, that's good. and we do that. We try to have a curfew of nine 30 for, you know, electronics, although, you know, we definitely don't hold tight to that yeah. all the time, but we do have our blue light blocking glasses to help reduce the amount of melatonin suppression and then ideally, again, trying to get to bed, getting at least one good hour of sleep before midnight. You know, our ancestors, they went to bed shortly after sunset. So yeah. you know, in the summer, that might be like 9 or 10 p.m. In the winter, I was oftentimes like 8 p.m. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then they would wake up at sunrise, yeah. which just makes sense. So, it, so in some sense, uh, we could say that our cell phones are making us fat. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That blue light exposure blocking your melatonin release. Now your brain's not going to detoxify as well. Now you're going to have higher amounts of stress hormone. In fact, when people say, because you'll hear this all the time, people will say, well, I get my second wind at like 10 o'clock and I just feel like I can do so much. I can be so productive. And I always tell people, do not have any goals, no intense goals after 9 p.m., right? So you're not trying to, you know, do the laundry ideally, right? After 9 p.m. I know there's certain circumstances you might not be able to get around, but as much as possible, try not to have goals after 9 p.m. because now you're going to get a release of your catecholamines, dopamine, cortisol, adrenaline, and that is going to give you that second win. And you're going to feel good and you're going to feel productive, but it's going to significantly suppress your melatonin. 
You're not going to get good quality deep sleep and and REM sleep. You're going to have a lot more daytime fatigue and you're going to struggle with your productivity throughout the day. So you may get a few hours of, of high productivity from that, but overall you're going to reduce the amount of productivity and your it's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect, um, you know, your ability to stay calm and under control and really just be the best human being you can be throughout the day. When you yeah, I don't think, I don't think we give sleep enough credit for sure. What, what do you think the most important organ in our body is for fat burning? Hmm, that's a really good question. Most important organ. I mean, I'm going to say your brain really. Okay. Um, your brain controls everything in your body. And so ultimately if your brain is communicating well, to your adrenal glands, to your pancreas. If there's good communication between your brain and your liver, your stomach, producing enough stomach acid, producing enough digestive enzymes, then you're gonna have a lot less stress in the body. You're gonna have a lot less inflammation in the system. And we have a really big issue with neuroinflammation or inflammation that affects Mm. brain, in particular inflammation that affects regions like the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland which have to do with melatonin release, which have to do with producing enough stress hormone, with have to do with, um, you know, really adapting and responding to the stress hormone that is being released. So, you know, for example, if you're, you know, if you're a few hours after a meal, you're craving food, and that's a sign of neuroinflammation because your hypothalamus is not really responding to the environment that it, that it should be. Um, you, know, you should have plenty of food. You've got body fat to burn. You've got um, glycogen in your in your liver and in your muscles. You've got plenty of potential energy there. Yet you're still having a craving. Again, it's a sign that your body's just not not responding. It's yeah, well, it's like it's like a bad radio station, right? It's yeah. just not responding well to the to the you know it's bad feedback. So you're not yeah. tuning in correctly, and that's so- going to cause more emotional eating habits poor fat burning, poor sleep and a vicious cycle. So if I, if I say, gosh, you know, I want to fast a little longer. I want to try to burn, uh, burn more energy from fat, but I just am getting a 10 o'clock hunger craving. Uh, that is a sign of neuroinflammation in the brain. Can absolutely be. Now, if you're eating every single night at 10 PM, you may be conditioning your body. You know, your mm. body's going to respond to whatever stressor or whatever, you are conditioning it to. So you, and in fact, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are doing intermittent fasting and some of them have done longer too. Yeah. Extended fasting. So you'll notice if you eat lunch every day and then you, you, on your one day fast, let's say you skip lunch, you probably feel hungry at that same time that you normally would eat. And that's just normal that you feel that way because again, you've conditioned yourself. Trained it. Yeah. Yeah. You've trained it. Now, if it's really sporadic, can absolutely be related to maybe had a lot of stress that day. And because of the stress, you're creating this sort of, uh, you know, neurochemistry that's causing you to want to have cravings, right? Mm, So that could be the case. Poor sleep the night before is going to increase the amount of cravings that you're going to have, particularly cravings in the evening. Uh, So yeah, all of those factors, but yes. What, what do you think the liver's job is in this? Do we have, I mean, part of, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm like, yeah, well, our diet has definitely made us insulin resistant, but is the liver struggling to detoxify all the toxins in our environment? And is that affecting our ability to burn fat? Well, certainly, you know, the liver needs to be functioning well. We have phase one through three liver detox that we need to really, it needs to be activated and working really well. And we, you know, in our society, we have an onslaught of toxins. And so for many people and and really high insulin also Mm. slows down that liver detoxifying effect, right? So when you have higher amounts of insulin in your blood, your liver slows down. So that's one big factor. We also have an issue where, see, see, we, we put a lot of emphasis on phase one and phase two liver detoxification and for good reason, but phase three is actually where we put the toxin we've deactivated it. Now we actually put it in the bile and then we actually get it out through the stool. And that's a really important component as well. And for many people, they have very poor bile flow. So Mm. their liver ducts, their bile ducts are really congested. They have poor bile flow, you know, over time that can lead to, you know, uh, gallstones, for example, 
um, gallbladder removal. If you I was going to say, yeah, is this why they're removing everybody's gallbladder? Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, that means you actually have a liver problem. So it's not necessarily a gallbladder problem. A gallbladder is more or less like an appendage of the liver. And its job is to store bile for the big meals. You know, our ancestors, they would feast or famine. So when they got a lot of food, right, they would eat a lot and they needed extra bile to help emulsify the fat and uh, be able to metabolize it more effectively. That's why we have the gallbladder. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, most people don't really realize this. They think it was, it was just a gallbladder issue. There's actually a liver issue. It's actually an issue with really poor stagnant bile flow. And so we want to do things that are going to help improve bile flow so we can emulsify those fats and get the toxins that we've deactivated out through the colon. And so, you know, where do we start with that? Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. How do we help the liver? Yeah, exactly. One way to start is have a good, have good bowel movements, right? I would say that's first place to start. Yeah, but what if you can't? I mean, I hear yeah. that all the time where people are like, I'd like to, to have good bowel movements, but I can't. Yeah. So there's things that you can do. You know, obviously we got to look at, at the diet, really try to dial in the diet, but then there's other things that we can do as well. For example, deep breathing is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Warm tea, like, like herbal tea in the morning or warm lemon water, some sort of warm beverage. A lot of people notice that when they drink coffee, for example, coffee has multiple benefits. The warmth of the coffee stimulates your vagus nerve or, or tea or lemon water. And the vagus nerve is the biggest nerve in your body. It comes from your brain. It's vagus is Latin for wanderer travels down into your heart, your lungs, your digestive system helps stimulate uh, peristalsis, which is muscle contractions in your intestines. And so when we stimulate that, now we get the movement, the wave-like movements in the gut to help move things out. So a lot of people notice when they drink warm beverages in the morning, particularly, your, your large intestine is most active between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. People that sleep late oftentimes notice they miss their bowel movement. Okay, A lot of times people will be, have healthy bowel movements uh, you know, on the work days, and then on the weekend, they sleep till 10 or 11 a.m. and they miss their bowel movement. They're like, oh, now they get out of cycle. So being up, drinking warm beverages, doing some deep breathing can also be very helpful to stimulate the vagus nerve. Okay. You can even sing, right? Singing actually helps. Or yep. Humming actually helps stimulate the vagus nerve. Gargling. Uh, get those muscle contractions. Gargling yeah, can gargling. also help. So yeah. yeah, brush your teeth, gargle, right? Get a yeah. little stimulation there. All those things can help. And then we can also look at supplements like magnesium, for example. Magnesium is one of the biggest deficiencies in our society. And one one symptom of a magnesium deficiency is constipation because we need good magnesium for proper muscle contractions, particularly in our gut as well. So taking some extra magnesium. Now, when it comes to magnesium supplementation, there are certain types that are really good for muscles like magnesium malate, glycinate. Um, and some that are really great for the brain, magnesium L3 and H really great for the brain. If you're specifically trying to move your bowels, I, really a magnesium citrate or magnesium uh, oxide, right? Uh, oxygen based. We use one called oxy powder, which works fantastic. And that's something you can also take while you're fasting. It's not herbal based, you know, it's, it's not going to impact your fast, but it's going to help move things through. Um, and keep you regular. So that can be extremely helpful. And I've seen a lot of people do really, really well with that. So those are just some easy strategies. You know, we can also go up, you know, basically, you know, up the river going to more towards the root cause. What does your stomach acid levels look like? What, what else is happening with your gut? Probiotics can be really helpful. Or in some cases, you know, we need to kill off an infection, right? right. Sometimes there's an H. pylori infection in the stomach or something along those lines or just really bad bile flow, right? Which can create a vicious cycle. So some herbs that that are really good for supporting bile flow, things that I love are artichokes. You can actually- Oh, I love artichokes. Yeah, I love them too. Twice a week, I make this big salad for my family. It's it's our Mediterranean salad. Mm. We have olives in there, hearts of palm, artichokes, cucumbers, onions, tomatoes, and, um, yeah. And then I, and then I've got olive oil and lemon juice and Mediterranean herbs. So I always um, said, I always say my love language to my family are salads. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Mike, you know, I really love you on the days I put a lot in the salad. <laughs> if I if I just throw some greens together and throw a dressing on, I may not be, you might not be totally in favor with me that day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, you look at the Mediterranean diet, they're eating a lot of foods, you know, that that's considered, I don't think it's the healthiest diet. They, some people can do a Mediterranean diet and eat a lot of grains, but it's considered one of the healthier diets. Yep. And they do a lot of these herbs and a lot of these bio-supportive foods, right? So artichokes are great, parsley, oregano, basil. So if you think about your Mediterranean herbs, oregano, basil, thyme, rosemary, those are all fantastic for, for gut health, for bioflow. They're really good. Dandelion is another really good one. Um, cilantro, milk thistle, although that can be tough to find like in nature mm -hmm. uh, to put in your diet, but you can obviously supplement with it. Yeah. Um, but those are our fantastic herbs to be consuming. Drink, drinking ginger tea or dandelion mm, tea is another really great strategy for supporting bioflow, supporting your whole digestive health. Yeah. So I think that's really good for helping keep the bile thin and moving. In some cases, we'll use bile salts like taurine, different amino acids, taurine, choline, um, or lecithin, right? So you can get like some sunflower lecithin mm, um, yeah. and put that in a shake for example, and that can also be very helpful, or you can take um, liposomal, some liposomal supplements, which have kind of natural forms of phospholipids and choline and things like that to help support bioflow. But um, yeah, supporting good bioflow and good stomach acid production are really, really, really critical for overall health and escorting, uh, escorting uh, toxins out through the bile and out through the stool. I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that what I want my followers and listeners to do is go back and listen to everything you just said and literally write it down. And this is one of the things that frustrates me so much is that you have people, how I started this off going into their doctor's office and told their BMI is high and they just need to lose weight. And then we try to hop on fancy diets and when we do it, we either succeed or fail, or we temporarily succeed and then we fail. And the things you just said were so, I mean, they were foods, they were sleep, they was liver health. Like it's, it's simple and it's not simple, but if you're out of answers, there are so many things you can do. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you gotta do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Is that how you feel when you look around at the world? Are you like, there are so many things you can do to lose weight. You just haven't been taught. Yeah, exactly. There are so many things and you kind of have to go through this checklist, right? So, you know, first thing, a great place to start is again with lifestyle, making sure that you are moving correctly. Now you don't have to, you really want to be careful not to overtrain. So you yeah. want to start with that foundational low carb, anti-inflammatory ketogenic diet, removing grains and sugars, 
cleaning up the fats, getting rid of polyunsaturated fats, uh, particularly, you know, all your processed vegetable oils, consuming your really good oils, your avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil. I know your listeners know this stuff. Grass. Yeah, I ho- they should. If they don't, they yeah. go there. You know, you have great resources. I have great. <laughs> yeah, resources. exactly. Oils are exactly. powerful. Yeah. So you got to start with that foundation and then really moving properly. And so moving properly, I really recommend doing resistance training at mm. least two or three days a week. So that's strength training. Yeah. So you can do body weight, you could do weights. Um, but strength training is so underutilized. Most people yes. when they think about exercise, they think about cardio, but really putting on a lean body mass is, is critical. And that is going to help your body become a better fat burner for women out there. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get muscle bound. You need to no. really like take a ton of testosterone if you were going to do that. No. Yeah. So, and women over 40 need to switch from being on the car, on the yeah. treadmill for an hour to 15 minutes lifting weights. It's, it is, Absolutely. it's going to take her hormones. Absolutely. Yep. Take a walk every single day, you know, walk a mile every day, do some resistance training two to three times a week at least. And that's going to be great for movement. And then, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're doing those things and you're not seeing changes, then we need to start really looking at what else is going on. How are you obviously prioritize your sleep, do all those basic things, but then we need to look at what's happening with your gut. Where are you detoxing effectively? right? These are, are things we really need to look at. What is your fasting insulin? Maybe we need to tighten up your fasting window to get yep. that insulin down. These are things that we need to look at and address. You know, in my book, I have a, a simple, my keto book, I have a s- simple tests that you can do at home to look at what's happening with your stomach acid, mm. your bile, and your pancreatic enzyme. So the first test we call the steak test. So if you eat a six ounce steak with nothing else, right? Just steak and let's say salt. You really should feel great. You should feel very, very satiated for the next at least four hours after that. If you notice you have acid reflux, if you have, uh, if you feel nauseous, if you have bloating, if you feel lightheaded or you have brain fog, you feel like you need to take a nap after eating that, that's a sign you're not producing enough stomach acid. And therefore your body's really struggling. It's causing a lot of stress in your stomach. You're struggling to break that down. So now we need to really address stomach acid. We can do that by drinking ginger tea, by taking apple cider vinegar before meals, by chewing on some ginger, ginger root before meals can help stimulate stomach acid production by taking things like betaine HCL as a supplement um, with your protein containing meals. What about, so uh, what about ginger juice? Just straight ginger yeah, juice. You can do that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's strong, right? So it, it, I like it though. It's strong. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that real strong, bitter tartness will stimulate the vagus nerve and will stimulate the stomach acid production. Just think about apple cider vinegar. I mean, that's strong too, yeah. right? Now yeah. I don't recommend taking it undiluted because it could damage your esophagus. You should dilute it um, at least four ounces per tablespoon of apple cider vinegar to dilute it properly. But that all those things will help stimulate vagus nerve production will help get your stomach acid where it should be. I mean, think about this, your stomach acid to eat a steak, your P the pH level of your stomach acid needs to be between 1.5 and 2.2 to really metabolize it effectively. Okay. Now for those people that don't know chemistry real well, neutral pH is seven. We think about water typically seven pH. Um, our blood is usually like 7.365 pH. So it's a very, very strong acid to get it down to 1.5 to 2.2. At rest, when you're not consuming food, your body's not producing a lot of stomach acid because it's trying to conserve energy. So you're normally around 3 to 3.5, that pH level at rest. So you have acid in there, enough acid to damage the esophagus, but not enough to digest the steak well. So to go from 3 to 3.5 down to 1.5 to 2.2, it's a lot of energy your body has to produce. You have to be able to produce that energy, produce that stomach acid to be able to break it down. And if you can do that, yeah, the steak, you just digest it. You feel energized. You feel great. The protein fat combination in there keeps your blood sugar really stable. You feel really mentally clear and you're able to be really productive. But if you're not able to do it, then it just sits in your stomach and it starts to ferment and rot in your stomach. And the acid that's in there that's already in your stomach will jump up, push up the esophageal sphincter and go into your esophagus and cause acid reflux, right? Crazy. You might have, you know, nausea. Which is happening to people all day. I mean, we just are doing all food time. all wrong. 
That's right. All the time. So that's the first test. So let's say you passed the steak test, ate the steak, felt great. Fantastic. Stomach acid levels are good. Next test we call the fat bomb test. And if you don't know what a fat bomb is, just go on Google, type in fat bomb. You'll see like a million different recipes. It's basically like coconut oil and chocolate combined. It has very little, you know, it has basically all fat, very little protein, maybe a gram or two and some fiber in it. And that's pretty much about it. And so when you consume that, you need to produce a lot of bile. You need to be able to emulsify that. Those are mostly long chain fats. You need to be able to emulsify them. And so um, if you take, if you consume a fat bomb, let's say about 300 calories of, of fat, you could also do it with butter. Just, you know, take big, big, huge tablespoon of butter or something like that. And you feel like you've got acid reflux or you feel nauseous, you know, all these types of symptoms. You feel like your energy drops, you feel dizzy, you know, things like that then that is a sign you're not producing that bile effectively. Or if let's say afterwards you feel constipated or you feel, or you see your stools floating and and they're light colored, those are signs that you're not producing bile effectively. So then you go back to those strategies I was talking about. All those different herbs can be really effective. Um, You know, you can take those different bile flow support supplements. You can also take an ox bile, for example, to help support your bile. Um, and that would be a, the test looking at your liver bile flow. And then the third home test is the broccoli test. You steam up some broccoli, a bowl of broccoli, and you just have broccoli and salt, let's say. Okay, now normally you eat broccoli and salt, you know, you should feel fine several hours, you know, for a few hours after that. Okay, if you feel, again, if you've got a lot of bloating, cramping, gas, acid reflux, that's a sign you either have too much bacteria that have translocated from your large intestine into your small intestine, or that you are not producing enough pancreatic enzymes to break it down. Now, the key here is that we're doing steamed broccoli, not raw broccoli. Raw broccoli in general can be tough on the digestive system. Okay. So even somebody with a healthier digestive system is going to produce some gas with the raw broccoli. Steamed broccoli should be a lot easier for your system to break down. Okay. So if you're noticing those issues, and particularly if you're noticing it often, let's say like it seems like every time you eat vegetables or a salad, you're noticing a lot of bloating, most likely you're having issues with too much bacteria in your small intestine. Um, and if you're just noticing it with like maybe one or two different types of foods, oftentimes it's more related to some enzymes that are specific to breaking that down that you may need to support. You may need to take some digestive enzymes. And a lot of people will say, man, I try to eat healthy. Like I'm eating broccoli and salads and I just am bloating up like crazy. Yep. I hear that all the You've time. That, right? yep. And like, and so that's typically related to bacteria in the wrong place, either the wrong type of bacteria, the right type of bacteria in the wrong place, mm-hmm. or just not being able to produce enough enzymes. And sometimes it's all three. Yeah. And so we've got to address that. So there's things that we can do to address it, taking digestive enzymes, sometimes some antimicrobials, intermittent fasting, actually one of the best things to do to help improve uh, your, your microbiome, the diversity of your microbiome and the location of where those bacteria are. So yeah. practicing that can be really helpful. Yeah. I've noticed in the research recently on fasting that all the current studies coming out, or I used to say the majority of them are around the microbiome changes that are happening with fasting. And it's almost like as the fasting movement has gotten bigger, we're trying to explain it in more detail and we're back at the mitochondria or at the, the microbiome. So, yeah, and, I, so and I've heard you, you've talked about the 24 hour fast. I love the 24 hour fast for anybody yeah. with a gut problem, but I've heard you say we could end chronic disease if we did yeah. one 24 hour fast a week, if everybody did that, can you explain that? Cause I think that I, I think we could end chronic disease with an yeah. episode like this, but, yeah, if it, but sure. if it's as easy as a 24 hour fast once a week, how do we get people to understand this? Yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the interesting thing is the, the way that I found intermittent fasting was through my gut problems. I had irritable mm. bowel syndrome and I, this was back in 2005. I started doing intermittent fasting. I had never even heard the term. Yeah. I just knew that I felt better. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I have never once in my life ever tried to lose weight. I'm an ectomorph body type, very thin shoulders. Uh, I'm always trying to put on muscle. I have to lift heavy, um, you know, in order to maintain my muscle, but I found that it's actually easier to maintain muscle mass, easier to maintain my weight, and keep my gut healthy by practicing intermittent fasting. Most people are getting into fasting because they want to lose weight, 
But for me, it just keeps inflammation down. It keeps my mm. gut really healthy. And that's why I've been doing it now for over 15 years. Yeah. And so, yes, the, the, what we're doing when we're fasting is we're actually helping, we're actually helping feed. So in our, in our gut, here's how I'll explain it. In our gut, we have a primary feeder and we have primary feeders and we have secondary feeders. Primary feeders are, they're more dominant than the secondary feeders. So the secondary feeders live in the deep in the mucosa. So along our gut membrane, and our gut is really only one cell wall connected. Mm. And then we have a mucous membrane right above that, that helps protect it. And deep in the mucus, we have certain types of bacteria that are like one of them is called Ackermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. It eats mucus and it, it's actually associated across the board in microbiome research. When you have high amounts of Ackermansia mucinophilia, you have lower amounts of gut inflammation. Mm. And so- That's helpful. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Lower amounts of inflammatory bowel disease. There's another one called fecal bacterium prusnitzii as well. Yep. Interesting thing about fecal bacterium prusnitzii is um, this, this, this gastroenterologist, this French gastroenterologist, he looked at Crohn's disease patients and they took biopsies of their gut microbiome in their gut. And, and they tested them all across the board. They, they were looking at Asians. They were looking at Europeans, Americans. And what they found, typically when you think about Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory bowel disorder, most functional medicine practitioners think parasite. We mm -hmm. think, you know, yeast, we think some sort of bad guy yeah, is yeah. in there. And there may be in, in certain cases. However, what he found was that the one thing they all had in common, low levels of fecal bacterium prusnitzii, right? And Amazing. so fasting is one of the best things to help support that. I love how, by the way, I love how you just, that just came out of your mouth so eloquently. I, the, I always try to pronounce those bacteria and I'm like, I give them short names, but that was, that was impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I've done several interviews talking about this. <laughs> you can tell so, it was great. So the interesting thing is when we're eating every few hours, we're primarily feeding the primary feeders. Hmm. They actually need to take periods of time without food in order for the, the primary feeders not to overproduce. They, they repopulate too quickly and they drown out the secondary feeders. The way that I like to explain this to people, it's kind of like this. So I have two metaphors. So one is that in order to have, you know, a really healthy, beautiful looking lawn, we get our lawn cut. Like you don't just not mow your lawn, right? You mow your right. lawn, you trim your, you know, you trim your hedges, things like that. And that, and that's really what fasting does on a daily basis is it keeps things from overgrowing, keeps the weeds down, right? Keeps all this stuff down. So you have a well manicured lawn. The second thing is this, I have an apple tree and a blueberry bush in my front front yard here. And the apple tree has a tendency to overgrow and will crowd out the blueberry bush, not allow it to get enough sunshine. And if we don't trim it back every year, then we don't get blueberries. Now the apple tree is great. Why would we want to trim or literally harm the apple tree? Well, because we want blueberries, right? So right. that this is kind of the same thing in the gut. So actually fasting helps trim the hedges of that apple tree in a sense, or the primary feeders. So we get plentiful expression of those secondary feeders, like the acromansia who lives in the mucous membrane. And what acromansia does is it will eat polyphenols from foods that we consume. And it will also eat the mucous membrane. And it actually uh, stimulates the goblet cells in the intestines to produce mucus, right? So they help, help produce mucus. It also produces urolithins. And urolithins are these metabolites that help strengthen the mitochondria and actually create mitophagy in the intestinal cells. Mitophagy wow. means breaking down damaged mitochondria so we can reform new healthy mitochondria. We know that the healthier the mitochondria, the cells of our body, the more stress resilient the cell is. So good having good acromansia production strengthens the tight junctions of the gut membrane, increases the mucus layer, which is healthy, that helps protect the intestinal membrane, and increases the uh, stress resiliency of the intestinal cells. So and it, how, how long, yeah. How long do you think you have to fast to get that result? You know, I think doing something like a 16 to 18 hour fast will really get us a good result. Yeah. And then I do recommend doing that 24 hour fast once a week. 
And that primarily is to help stimulate intestinal stem cells. I was going to ask you. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, getting, when we get to that place, the intestinal cells are some of the cells that turn over the quickest. So we are constantly turning over our intestinal lining every three to five days. So when we do a fast like that, we are really going to stimulate more stem cell or these young embryonic cells being produced Mm -hmm. in the intestines. And there's been rat studies that have shown 24 hour fast really increases the intestinal stem cell production. We we don't have that same study that's been reproduced in humans, but you know, we can confer that there's definitely going to be some stem cell production there in the intestines. And just clinically, I've seen people do significantly better at keeping inflammation under control, preventing against leaky gut, um, improving histamine intolerance, all these types of issues that are associated with gut dysbiosis and, um, and leaky gut when they're able to do this 24 hour fast or one day fast every single week. I, I had a woman yesterday, I do a YouTube live every Thursday for my audience. And I, um, she posted that within a year's time, she's lost like 50 pounds. It was maybe bigger than that. And she got off eight medications and she was using lots of variations of fast, but one of the biggest ones was the 24 hour fast. Mm-hmm. And I, and it was so exciting because gosh, what a tool for a, an individual to get off all those medications. How much of the benefits of fasting that we're seeing people get everything from weight loss to blood pressure reduction, to getting off meds, to pain going away is because we are changing the microbiome through the tools of fasting. Do you think that's the primary, um, application for fasting is to come at it by changing the microbiome so we can get somebody healthier? That's a really good question. I don't think scientists really know now. The gentleman I was referring to is Kieran Krishnan. I don't know if you know. Oh, Kieran. okay. Oh, good. No, I, I'll check him out. Definitely. He's, he is brilliant when it comes to uh, the microbiome. And I love talking with him about these types of topics. He would definitely say microbiome is probably 90% of it. Right. And, right. you know, if you talk to any microbiome researcher, that's what they would say. However, I really think the impact on insulin and your insulin sensitivity plays a huge role. So if you were to talk to Dr. Ben Bickman, he would say 90% insulin, right? So it kind of depends on who you are talking to and what they're studying. But, you know, the great thing is most of the same things that improve insulin sensitivity improve your microbiome. So it's not like you need this set here and this set here. You really can be doing most of these same things. In fact, a lot of the same supplements people take to support their microbiome also support uh, insulin sensitivity, probiotics, berberine, right? Things like that. They support these things. And so- um, you know, turmeric, ginger, they, they support your microbiome, support insulin sensitivity. So I think both of those play a huge role with this. Um, and overall, just improving mitochondrial function. And so having a healthy gut microbiome really improves that. Healthy insulin sensitivity improves that. Circadian rhythm optimization is a really important factor for that. We talked about that in the beginning, getting that circadian rhythm under control, because you could take all the probiotics in the world. You could eat keto, low carb and exercise, but if your sleep is off, you are going to feel terrible, right? You're going to build chronic disease. I I also feel like if we're going to end chronic disease, it can't be expensive. So it's, it's, and so we can't go from a, a healthcare system that threw pills at everything to a healthcare system that now throws natural pills at everything. So again, this is why I've been deep into wrapping my head around using fasting as a tool to end chronic disease. I think the, the average person's willing to hop on and try that and see what they can do. But now how do we explain exactly what's going on so that doctors get excited about it and start bringing totally. fasting? To the world. Totally. I mean, I really think that fasting is the most ancient, inexpensive, and powerful healing tool known to mankind, meaning yeah. that like our ancestors have done it throughout the history of mankind. Everybody does it overnight. You know, it's like it's something you've actually done. Now it's yeah. just a matter of extending it out. And it's really part of our genetic blueprint. Um, you know, our body knows how to do it and it can be really effective at doing it. And so you can really, I mean, you could eat, not not that I would recommend this, but even if you're eating a poor diet, 
you could eat that poor diet and have significantly better metabolic results if you were to condense your eating window into a six-hour yes. eating window. There actually was a study they just yeah. did. It just came out in April of this year showing that if somebody did five days of a broth fast and they put it in a certain time window and they kept it under 30, 300 calories, I don't know why they chose that. And then they went into a diet change and the diet they chose was the DASH diet. They found that they got better results than somebody who just hopped in to a diet change alone without mm -hmm. fasting. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, I mean, cool. you're doing that partial fast five days, which we know increases autophagy, increases stem cell production, drives, you know, improves insulin sensitivity. So you're really clearing up a lot of things on the front end there. Yeah. Um, you know, that now allow the person now as they start bringing in more nutrients and more foods to be able to process them more effectively and have less of an inflammatory, you know, the amazing thing is when you get the ketones elevated, like that person would on a 300 calorie diet for five days, those ketones really blunt inflammatory gene pathways. They blunt the inflammasome in Crazy. general. Yeah. yeah. And it's, so it's just yeah. so powerful. Well, I, I, I know you see it really clearly. Like I see it yeah. so clearly and I'm like, how we just got to get the, the common person to see it so clearly. We got to get the doctors on board. If everybody could start to understand the power of fasting for healing the body, there would be, there would be no reason not to do it. And we could train everybody to do it. So I, and it's free and it doesn't take time. I mean, it, it checks all the boxes in my opinion. Totally. So. And we need to stop being scared of it. I mean, I think a lot yes. of doctors are just fearful you know, in, in our society, we're fearful of being uncomfortable. Yes. And um, I think we have to realize we have to embrace uncomfortability. It's something all of our ancestors went through. It's something that helps build resiliency in general. Exercise makes us uncomfortable. You know, we really have to start looking at fasting more like exercise. Yes. All of us realize if we have not been exercising and then we go out and we do, we push our body, we're going to feel sore right? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's natural, but we all realize it's kind of a good soreness, you know, obviously yeah. unless we like massively overtrain. Um, but we realize we're getting stronger, more resilient, you know, and yeah. we realize that, that exercise, it takes some time to, to really get some results and get a lifestyle built around it. But I mean, you're going to see significant results in two weeks, two to four weeks of exercise. You're going to see, you know, pretty significant neurological changes, yeah. neuromuscular changes taking place. And it's the same thing with fasting. It's going to be uncomfortable when you first start, if you haven't done it before, but as your body gets more acclimated to it, it becomes easier and easier. And you really start to see the changes and the results and it just becomes part of a lifestyle. Yeah. So cool. Totally agree. Well, I love this conversation and I, um, we have a mutual friend, Ben Azadi, and I was chatting with him this morning. He goes, Oh, you and David are going to geek out on the fasting stuff together. So I, I thank you for having this discussion with me. Um, I have five rapid fire questions for you uh, that I want to finish up with. Um, we are creating a book list of all of our guests. And so my question to you is, what is the one book that changed your life that you think everybody should read? You know, that's a great question. I would say, well, a book that really changed my life, and this was many years ago, back when I was dealing with irritable bowel, was actually The Maker's Diet by Jordan Rubin. <gasps> That was probably one yeah. of the first books that turned me on to the importance of organic, going organic, grass-fed meats, you know, really, really great diet changes, diet change strategies. So yeah, I would say that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, that was just so powerful in my health journey. Yeah, I love it. Okay. If second question, if you were the Surgeon General right now for the United States and you want and you were in charge of cleaning up the health of America, and we have listeners all over the world, what what three strategies would you apply immediately? Yeah, I would get everybody really trying to focus in on sleep optimization, right? So I think that's so critical. Again, you know, it, it's hard because we have people that have to work shift hours and things like that. But, uh, but sleep optimization, really trying to get to bed before midnight, so important, keeping the blue light out, all the things that we talked about, intermittent fasting for sure, just like we talked about, trying to condense that eating, that, that, those, the, the eating window, right? And doing yep. one day a week where we're doing a 20 to 24 hour fast. If you're really, really thin and underweight, you know, maybe ending it at 20 hours. Um, and then for those individuals that, you know, are, are at their optimal weight or 
um, are overweight doing 24 hours and maybe even pushing it up to 36 or 40 hours. So powerful doing that once a week. Um, So that would be number two. And number three, I think is just getting out and getting moving, walking for walking for 30 minutes every single day, at least. Um, okay. The fourth question, what does like a typical day look for you? And you're a family man. I'd, I'd be curious what a typical day looks like for your family. Like, do you fast your, your kids? Like, how do you get these, yeah. this, this t- lifestyle into a family pattern? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we typically finish dinner by seven o'clock. We're usually either, either eating at five thirty, six, six thirty, but we're typically done by 7 p.m. Um, and then we go out, I'll just start from there. So we finish dinner. Um, we typically are going out summertime right now. So I'm going out playing basketball with my five-year-old twins, taking my, our baby, we have a newborn. So we have four children. I have a newborn. Um, I have a three-year-old daughter and two five and a half year old twin boys. And so, um, either my wife or I am taking the baby out in a walk because she sleeps best when she's on, when she's um, on the carrier, right, right up against us. And we just walk our neighborhood. And then the other one is playing with the other kids. And so, um, so we take turns with that. And so that's what we're doing typically. And then we put our kids down usually around eight 30 and then we had, we saw the baby. Um, so then my wife and I will either watch something on TV or oftentimes we'll read, we'll just read together, mm-hmm. um, read books. Meanwhile, you know, she's nursing the baby or I'm holding the baby with the passy and, whatnot, trying to get the baby down to sleep. You usually go to bed about 1030. Okay. And we'll take turn, you know, we have a newborn, so it's a unique situation. Yeah. Um, but we're sleeping in different rooms right now. And what I've been doing is taking the baby from typically 1030 to 230. And then I get up and I take the baby down to my wife and then she'll co-sleep with her till 630 or seven. I usually get up around 630 at this point, And then um, you know, I'll go and get the baby, put her in the swing and then she sleeps in the morning. And then I, um, you know, in the morning time I get up and I go outside I oil pull. So I put in, I have a specific, uh, coconut oil. It's got some different essential oils in there and uh, some oil pulling, which helps clear my oral, my mouth. And I'm doing that for about 10 minutes. And I stretch during that period of time outside. I pray um, usually I'm, I'm walking over by like my blueberry bush, my apple tree, things like that. Um, and so that's what I do kind of my morning routine there. And then I just start working. So I get my best work done in the morning. Me and so too. I usually just start working. I'll take some breaks here and there. Say hi to my kids. My, my children wake up. Fortunately, uh, the older kids sleep well. So they usually are sleeping until eight, eight thirty, and they'll play in their room together. Um, and, uh, my wife or our nanny will help get them up around nine o'clock. And, uh, sometimes they get a bath. Sometimes they just go out to our community pool. Do they um, eat breakfast? They do. And so usually breakfast for them is usually around nine o'clock or so. So they're doing like a 14 hour fast and, um, and they're usually doing eggs and avocado and for, with that for dessert, we'll do like some fruit, like a, like cut up a banana or strawberries, or they love protein bars. So we have like uh, the Paleo Valley protein bars. We have the keto, a uh, perfect keto protein bars. They love those, right? Yeah. So they'll get they'll get one of those or something like that. But it's fairly low carb breakfast, um, nutrient dense breakfast. Then for lunch for them, we usually have lunch meat. We have olives. They'll, they they love olives. they, they go back and forth between black and green olives. Um, we'll dice up pickle or carrots or cucumbers or something like that. Yeah. Real food, all real food dessert for them is like, they love fruit so that they could eat fruit all day. So it's apples, blueberries, things like that. That's after they eat their protein, you know, and their fat. Then they, yeah. then we give them the fruit because otherwise they just want to eat fruit. Right. Right. So, yeah. Right. So we give them that afterwards. And then we don't, our kids do not snack. Then they eat dinner um, at 5.30, typically 5.30 or 6. And we're eating healthy meats. We're eating, um, you know, vegetables. So usually we're having steak or grass-fed hot dogs or, you know, steamed broccoli with butter and herbs on it. Um, let's see, we do the Mediterranean salad that I was talking about. Yeah. We do that a lot. We'll do, uh, from time to time, we'll do the, what is it called? Against all grains pizza. Oh yeah. Oh, we did that one too. Yeah. Yeah. We love that one. Right. So that's great for a feast day, a little higher in carbs. 
Um, I love that pizza though. So we'll do that like once a week or once every other week. Um, we'll do, we'll do a breakfast for dinner once a week where we do eggs, chicken sausage. Um, we get either gluten-free waffles or I usually do the keto waffles. Um, and we'll put butter on them. Um, my kids, we just don't give them sweeteners other than stevia. So twice a day, we'll give them, uh, we have the Organifi red drink. Oh, I love the red drink. So we'll put a little bit of that in water with a little bit of like liquid stevia in there. And they love that. And they drink that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my 19 year old son, I bring home all the little like liquid powders. That's the one he loves. It's, it really is. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite keto food? Like if you had to pick one keto food that you're like, I couldn't do keto without this, what would it be? I mean, I really love, I love beef. I love whether it's grass fed hot dogs or steak or something like that. So I would say that's probably the most complete food that I eat, yeah. but I also love avocados. I love olives, olive oil. I mean, I could, I could go on and on about yeah. all the different foods that I, that I enjoy. I personally, for lunch, I will do a, uh, a protein shake. I like to eat lighter during the day. So I do a protein shake where I usually have about 60 grams of protein in it. So on days I work out, I'll put like 20 grams of whey protein and about 40 grams of bone broth or collagen protein in it, mm. coconut milk avocado and frozen berries in there. And then possibly some supplements that I might throw in there, creatine, different things like that. Um, and so I, I love that for lunch and then I'll have some dark chocolate with it. Um, you know, as, as low sugar as possible, dark as possible. Um, and then for dinner again, I, that's my, typically my biggest meal. So I'm eating a lot of, you know, meat, vegetables, healthy fats with that from time to time we have like the pizza, or what else do I eat when I eat carbs? It's usually like the pizza. Sweet potatoes? Do you do sweet potatoes? I'm not a huge sweet potato fan uh, sometimes, but but rarely. Um, I don't know. I'm, I can't think of yeah. anything. No, that's that. awesome. I, I was actually thinking that a lot of times on, on my yeah. podcast, we talk so much about philosophy. And what I love is that you are, you, you laid down so many great like yeah. tips that are amazing. Um, my last question for you, and this is one I ask everybody, which is if you had one message for the world that you could get into everybody's brain, what would that message be? Well, my message would be that God loves you, that he laid down his life for you and that you can have everlasting life by believing in him. And so I'm a Christian. And so I'm just real open with my faith about that. And I believe that God has a great plan for your life. Hey, Resetters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews. And those of you that have left me comments on iTunes, I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversation. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.